This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, that is our prayer. Lord, as we approach this text where Paul says it's his ambition to preach the gospel where Jesus has not been named. Fathers, we're reminded by that beautiful song. There are so many places on this earth today where Jesus is not named. And Lord, it is our prayer that joyous praises to Jesus would ring out from the mountain to the valley. Lord, that that for your great renown, that joyous praises would rise to you as men and women and boys and girls that have never heard your name come to hear the good news of Jesus because of, of, of churches like ours that send and that go as you call and that give and that pray. And so, Lord, we, we ask today that you would use this time together to impact nations for your glory as you speak to our hearts about a ministry for gospel advance. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you're new today, uh, we are uh, preaching through the, the book of Romans, and we have come to the 15th chapter of Romans. So I want you to invite you to turn there to Romans chapter 15 today, Romans 15, um, and we're going to look at verses uh, 14 through 21 today and talk about ministry for gospel advance. Romans 15, and beginning with verse 14. Let me invite you to stand in honor of the author of God's word as we look at the word of God together. The Apostle Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. You can be seated. Andrew Vanderbilge, better known as Brother Andrew, was born in 1928 
in the Netherlands. He served in the Dutch army and became a follower of Jesus during his military service. And God began to put a deep burden in Brother Andrew's heart for people who live behind the Iron Curtain under the grip of communism in Eastern Europe. He took a trip to uh, Poland and God just really spoke to him about the, the desperate need that these people had behind, uh, behind in the Eastern Bloc uh, for Bibles and for Christian literature. Um, and so uh, he began to do that very thing <laughs> and, and became, in the words of a, of, of a biography about his life, God's smuggler. And so Brother Andrew would, would, would load up his, his, his car with, uh, with, with Bibles and with Christian literature, and he would drive up to the checkpoints of these communist countries, and at the risk of life and limb, as he's got his vehicle loaded with the, with the scriptures, as the, the guards approached to check him out, Brother Andrew would pray, Lord, make seeing eyes blind. And he did this for years. About 10 years ago, uh, David Platt, who was then 29 or 30, was interviewing Brother Andrew, who was then in his 80s. And David asked Brother Andrew, he said, if you could live your life over again, is there anything that you would do differently and without hesitation, Brother Andrew answered, I would just be even more radical. That, that word, that sentence became the title of a book that David Platt wrote, uh, Radical. You know, I'm pretty sure that one day when we stand before a Savior with pierced hands, if we could look back over the course of our earthly lives, I'm pretty sure that the one thing that we are not going to be saying is that, you know, I wish I had played it safer with the gospel. No, I, I'm certain that from the perspective of eternity and what really matters, our perspective is going to be, I wish I, had, I, wish I would have risked more. I wish I would have been more radical with the gospel. I wish I had given more. I wish I had sacrificed more. Because in that moment, we're going to see what really matters and what doesn't. And what we see in this text is, is the Apostle Paul's radical ministry for gospel advance. So what do we see here in, in verses 14 through 21 about Paul's ministry and the ministry that God has called us to as believers. We see, first of all, that it was a priestly ministry. A priestly ministry. Let's look, first of all, at verse 14. He says there, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. 
Now, this verse really gives us some insight into the early church because he says to these believers that, that he believes that they are able to instruct one another. Now, Paul certainly was an advocate of pastors and elders. The two terms are used interchangeably in, in the New Testament. And so when, when Paul planted churches, when we see him planting churches, for instance, in the book of Acts, he will make sure that uh, elders, pastors are, are appointed to, to lead those churches. First Timothy 3 tells us that one of the qualifications of a pastor or elder is that they be able to teach and so obviously, Paul, uh, it was a strong advocate that churches need uh, pastors they, they, that are able to teach. Ephesians 4 uh, says that God gives pastors to each congregation for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. But the vision of a New Testament church is not that you know, the pastors are doing all the ministry, but the pastors are equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. And the vision is not even that the pastors are doing all the teaching, but as Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, he says, take what you've received from me and pass it on to faithful people who will be able to teach others. And so the vision that you see in the New Testament of the church is that you've got Pastors who are leading, teaching, equipping, but then just ordinary believers are, are instructed in the word of God and, and able to give biblical counsel and instruction to one another in the body. And we see that here in, in verse 14. Uh, Ross Duthat uh, has written um, a book called Bad Religion uh, that um, has been has really been very impactful on many people, sort of about the state of American churches and so forth. And and one of the things that that Duthat talks about in this book is that in the United States, in just in, in recent decades, there's just been an astronomical increase and sort of the, the number of professional caregivers. Since, since 1950, there has been a, a hundredfold increase in the number of professional caregivers. Our society, do that, says, boasts 77,000 clinical psychologists, 192,000 clinical social workers, 105,000 mental health counselors, 50,000 marriage and family therapist, and hundreds of thousands of non-clinical social workers and substance abuse counselors as well. Most of these professionals spend their days helping people cope with everyday life problems, not true mental illness. This means that under our very noses, a revolution has occurred in the personal dimension of life such that millions of Americans now pay professionals to listen to their everyday life problems. The result is a nation where gurus and therapists have filled roles once occupied by spouses and friends. Now do that is not putting down people who work in, in those professions. 
what he's saying is that the dramatic increase in, in those professions is, is due to the fact that we're living in a culture in America where friends have stopped being friends. And families have stopped being families. And neighbors have stopped being neighbors. And in some cases, churches have stopped being churches. And, and hear me, I'm, I'm not saying that there's never a time to go outside of the church and receive professional counseling. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that often we assume that that has to take place when in reality, in our local church, we have a family of loving brothers and sisters all around us who care about our lives. And there are people all around us in our church family that we can open up to and that who are, who are able to love and care and give instruction to one another. That's the body life of the church that we see here in verse 14. What does he say in verse, in verse 15? He says, but on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. Let's stop there. He says, I've, I've, I've written to you on some points very boldly by way of reminder. Verse 15 is a reminder that we need reminding. <laughs> because Christian truth is not like a math problem. You know, if you know that two plus two equals four, like you've got that mastered, it's there, you really don't, you've, it's, it's a part of you, you don't need to be reminded of it. Christian truth is not like that. Because of our sin nature, we are so prone to wander and forget the truth and we get spiritual amnesia and we need to be frequently reminded of truth that we already know and we need to be taken deeper into the truth that we already know. And so that's why we need one another it's why we need the teaching of the word of God, both in larger groups like this and in smaller group Bible studies. It's why we ourselves need to be in the word of God every day. Why? Because we're prone to wander and forget, and we need to be reminded of the truth. Now, in verse 16, he gets into this, this priestly ministry that God has given to him and to us, and we'll see it. Verse 16, he speaks about the, the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So what is Paul talking about here in verse 16? He's drawing on his, his, his Jewish background. He's drawing from the, rich, the deep well of the Old Testament. And so in the Old Testament, what, what do we see there? The priest would, would go into the temple uh, to offer sacrifices to God. 
And Paul was saying here that, that in a way that God had given to him a priestly ministry because the priest here is Paul and the offering that he is making to God are the lives, the transformed lives of these Gentiles who have been taken from, from spiritual death and paganism and they have been brought to spiritual life and their lives are being transformed by the Holy Spirit and Paul is saying this is my offering to the Lord the transformed lives of these people uh, if we could see ministry in, in this way I love what Kent Hughes says about this he says this about Paul he says though he is involved in the dusty mundane business of traveling the ancient world on foot, suffering from exposure, threats, beatings, and rejection. In his heart of hearts, he sees himself in priestly garb in the temple, lifting up the souls of people, which then ascend as a sweet-smelling fragrance to Christ. If only we could see our service as such, our lives would be transformed. A pie baked for a neighbor becomes an offering to God. A child held and loved is a liturgy. An employee treated with dignity a beatitude. The gospel shared is a song in heaven's courts. A Sunday school class well taught a fragrance to God. These are beautiful thoughts. Even better, they are true. That's the priestly ministry that God had given to Paul and gives to us as believers. So we see a priestly ministry here. Second, we see a powerful ministry. A powerful ministry. Let's look at verses 17 through the first part of verse 19. He says, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. Now at first, when you look at verse 17, it almost looks as if Paul is boasting in his work for uh, Jesus. He says, in Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. But that's the last thing that he's doing, because what does he quickly say in verse 18? He says, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. And because it was the work of Christ, it was anointed with his power. New Testament scholar Doug Moose says this, what Paul earlier alluded to, he now makes clear. The success of his ministry is due entirely to divine enablement. Christ is the active worker in the things of which Paul is speaking. Paul is simply the instrument. Are you willing to be used as an instrument in the powerful hands of the living God? I just imagine what Paul's ministry would have been like had it not been anointed with Christ's power. I mean, think about what this man is doing. He's going into cities where people have never heard of Jesus. The first place that he usually goes is the synagogue uh, to his own uh, Jewish kinsmen. 
And so he's going into synagogues and he's, and he's saying to his fellow Jews, he says, you know that the Messiah that you've read about in the Old Testament? Well, it was Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified by the Romans but rose from the dead. And now the Messiah commands you to repent and trust in him. Paul is going into pagan cities like Ephesus and Corinth and he's going to these Gentiles who didn't even have a category of the one true God. They worshipped many gods. And he's going to these Gentiles and he's, he's, he's telling them that a crucified Jew is Lord of the world and that they are to turn from their gods and goddesses to the one true God and turn to Jesus and repent and give their lives to him. Can you imagine what that message would have been like in those cities had it not been anointed with the power of God? But it was anointed with his power. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Paul knew what he was up against in every city. There would, there would, it would, th this message of the gospel, it would be a stumbling block to many Jews. It would be a folly to many Gentiles and they would mock him and ridicule him. But he also knew that when he preached this message, that there would be some who were called. Not just called by Paul's external words, but called internally by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he knew that when he shared this message that, that there would be some that God was calling and that God was drawing to himself. And, and, and in the lives of those people, the, the, this message of the gospel would become the very power of God for salvation. He, he says a few verses earlier in 1 Corinthians 1.18, he says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Friends, when, when we share the gospel with people, not everybody is going to receive it. In fact, most people will not receive it. But there will be those as we continue to faithfully share the gospel and boldly speak of Jesus there will be those that God is dealing with and that God is calling and that the Holy Spirit is going to open their hearts supernaturally to respond to the gospel. That's the, that's the power that is unleashed. It's not about us. It's about what God does. He, he, Paul writes to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 and 5. He says, for we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Paul 
Paul says, we, we know. <laughs> we know that God chose you because when we preach the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit was unleashed and it brought conviction to your hearts and it opened your blind eyes and it, and it took your heart of stone and made it into a heart of flesh and you were born again. That's the work of the Spirit. We don't control this. You know, Jesus says in, in John 3, 8, he says the wind blows wherever it wishes. He says, you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from, and you don't know where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. We don't control the Holy Spirit any more than what we can control the wind. Sam Storms uh, gives an illustration about this. Sam Storms says, imagine that you've decided to go sailing. The problem is that you know nothing about sailing. So you go to the store and you purchase several books to find out what's involved. You carefully read them and then you talk to a veteran sailor who answers questions for you. The next day you rent a sailboat. You, imagine, you examine it closely to make certain that everything, is needed for, uh, everything needed for a successful sailing experience is present and in good working order. Then you take your boat out onto the lake. Your excitement is at a fever pitch, though you're afraid. But you follow the instructions you've read and the counsel received from the experienced sailor, and you launch your boat into the water. You carefully monitor each step and hoist the sail. At that precise moment, you learn a crucial lesson. You can study sailing. You might even be able to build a sailboat. You can seek counsel from the wisest and most veteran of sailors. You can cast your boat onto the most beautiful of lakes and a bright and inviting sun. You can successfully hoist the sail. But, and this is a big but, only God can make the wind blow. And this is why, as we share the gospel, as we do ministry, we must humbly depend upon God in prayer because ultimately it is his work. We are merely instruments in his hand. A powerful ministry. Third, a pioneer ministry. A pioneer ministry. Now, as Americans, when we think about the pioneers, we think about those who went west, right, in the wagons. They went into an, an unsettled uh, west, and they were going into places where settlers had, had not been before. So when we think about a pioneer missionary, like the Apostle Paul, that means that he was going into areas where Jesus had not been named. No one had ever heard of Jesus. Verses, uh, the latter part of verse 19 through verse 21. He says, So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, 
Those who have never been told of him will see. And those who have never heard will understand. So let's go back to verse 19 here. He talks about from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. So Jerusalem was sort of the epicenter, the the beginning of the the church. And we know that Paul's missionary journeys uh, took him north, kind of up through what would be Syria today, and then uh, up into what would now be Turkey, and then it, it took him west across the province of Asia, what would now be the nation of Turkey, and then he crossed over into Europe, what is now would, would be Greece, all the way up like to the border of what would now be Albania, which he calls Illyricum here. But in what sense had Paul fulfilled the ministry of the gospel in these places? Because surely... In these places, not everyone was a believer. Surely in in all of these places, I mean, the gospel was not yet in every town and village. What Paul means is this. When he says, I've fulfilled the ministry of the gospel in these regions, Paul's strategy, the strategy that God had given to him was to go into major cities and to plant churches and get a vibrant church going in, a, in the major cities because he knew if that happened that the gospel would go out. The ripples would go out from that place and impact other cities with the gospel. Now a great example of this is a man named Epaphras. So when Paul was in Ephesus planning the church there, preaching the gospel, there was a man named Epaphras that heard the gospel And he was saved, and his life was transformed. And what did Epaphras do? Epaphras went 120 miles down the road to his hometown of Colossae and planted a church there. So that was a strategy. That's also the strategy, uh, that's one one of the strategies of the International Mission Board today. Because there are global cities like Dubai and London and places like that where you've got just, you know, hundreds and hundreds of, 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 of people from all over the world, but they're reached for Christ and they go back to where they came from with the gospel. It's one of the strategies for reaching those places. So that's what he means here when he says he's fulfilled his ministry in these places. And then he says in verse 20, I, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Now Paul knew that the role of others was to do that very thing. It was to build on that foundation. So wherever he went, he would appoint you know, pastors, elders to, to lead the churches in those places so that, that some, someone would be building on the foundation. But Paul's role, the role that God had called him to, was to be a pioneer missionary, to go into places where Jesus had never been named. It's hard for us to even conceive of this as Americans with our access to technology and communication, it's hard for us to wrap our brains around the fact that there are people in this world that have never heard of Jesus. But there are like three billion people 
who are in that category. And they live in places where they have little or no access to the gospel. And see, if someone doesn't come in from the outside to them with the good news of Jesus, they will be born, live, and die without ever hearing the gospel. And they must hear in order to be saved. Look at Romans 10. What do we see there in verses 13 and following? Paul says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of of those who preach the good news. Now, that last phrase in Romans 10:15 is a quote from the book of Isaiah. It's it's a quote from Isaiah 52 and verse 7. Now, let me show you something that's really really cool. <laughs> Let's go back to, to, to chapter 15, to Romans 15, and look at verse 21. Paul says here at, at, in verse 21, as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. He's quoting again here from the same chapter in Isaiah that he quoted from in chapter 10. This time he's quoting from Isaiah 52 and verse 15. So who is Isaiah 52 and 53 about? It's about this suffering servant, right? And, 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 and what do we learn about this suffering servant in that prophecy? Who is the the him here? Who is it talking about? Paul says in verse 21, those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. Who is the him that Paul is talking about here? Well, let's look at Isaiah 52 and 53 to find out. Look at Isaiah 52 and verses 13 through 15. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see And that which they have not heard, they understand. And then from chapter 53 and verses 3 and following, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him 
was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What is, who's Isaiah 52 and 53 talking about? Whose face was marred beyond recognition so that our faces could be filled with joy? Who was despised and rejected so that we could be welcomed and accepted? Who was acquainted with grief and sorrow so that one day all of our tears can be wiped away? Who bore our sins so that we could be forgiven and released from their penalty? Who was pierced for us so that we could praise? Who was crushed so that we could be cleansed? It was Jesus. And we are given the responsibility, the assignment to get that message about him to those who have never heard his name. And friends, the responsibility for doing that is not the responsibility of the International Mission Board. As wonderful as the IMB and, and other good missions agencies are, and they do a wonderful job, they do a wonderful job of cross-cultural training, a wonderful job of deploying people to the most strategic uh, peoples and, and places and, and designing uh, what they're going to do when they get there so that the gospel can spread. But let me ask you something. Where do people come from that, that, that are commissioned by the IMB? They come from churches like ours. They come from just people in the churches that are responsive to the call of God to go. How are they, how are they deployed? How are they sent? They're not funded by the International Mission Board. They are funded and sent out by churches, by believers, just like you and me in the churches that give so that others can go. And so, God can use you as a goer, as a sender, to get this good news and get this name of Jesus to every tribe and tongue in anticipation of the day when we will gather together with every tribe and tongue and praise our Savior with one voice. Let's pray together. Father, we, um, we thank you for this glorious news of the gospel. Lord, the fact that we were, we, were, we were most of us born in a place where we had such available access to it um, was just your all grace and mercy. But your word tells us that to whom much is given, much is expected. And Lord, you have blessed us in this country in so many ways. You have blessed us with such access to the good news of Jesus. 
You have blessed us with such resources. And Father, we pray that you would help us to engage in a ministry of gospel advance, that we would not hold back, that our lives would be surrendered to you, to go wherever you call us to go. to be goers, if you call us to go, to be, and, and Lord, you've called us all. If you've not called us to go, you've called us to send and enable others to go. And so, Father, we pray that, that you would set our souls afire with the mission that you have given to us and, remember, and help us to remember that the mission begins with those all around us every day. Families, friends, neighbors, people we go to work with, people we go to school with. Lord, help us to remember that we are on a mission for you and we pray that you would set us on fire with a passion for that. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you wanna spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer and find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.